Hello, you're listening to the Pine Reads Review Podcast. My name's John, I'm one of your hosts, and Pine Reads is an online children and young adult literary publication based at the University of Arizona, run by our wonderful staff of undergraduate interns like me. We are committed to showcasing a combination of debut, diverse, and established authors. My name's Wendy, and I'm the other co-host. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pine Reads Review. With all our topics, these are only our personal opinions, and our episodes do possibly contain spoilers for any of the books we talk about. To learn more and read our reviews, blogs, and interviews, visit our website at pinereadsreview.com. Hello, and welcome back to the Pine Reads Review Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, John. My pronouns are he, him, and with me, I have... Um, Wendy, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name's Hannah. My pronouns are she, they. And Jackie, and my pronouns are she, her. Um, so this episode, we are going to be talking about intersectionality. Um, it was a term coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, and basically it is the idea that how identity, identities interact and how they play a part in the issues someone faces, um, the disadvantages, discrimination, and how others perceive them. And it also um, touches on how it affects how one's identity affects how one maneuvers through their daily lives. Um, each of us read um, one or two books to kind of dive into how identities are um, reflected in books and how they affect the stories that these teens go through. Um, so I'm going to start with Wendy. Um, do you want to introduce the book that you read? Sure. Um, so I read Under a Painted Sky by Stacy Lee, and this book takes place um, during the gold rush era in America, um, and it starts in Missouri. And it, is, it talks about two girls. One is Chinese and one is Black. Um, and these girls end up having to run away, and they join the Oregon Trail, and they disguise themselves as boys on the Oregon Trail um, because one of them committed a crime accidentally and so now she's on the run and then the other one is a slave who was going to run away anyway so they went ahead and went together. Um, so this book focuses on their struggles um, and their journey on the Oregon Trail as pretending to be boys um, and they meet the this group of cowboys and um, it's a fun book about kind of survival on the Oregon Trail. They end up in all these misadventures that happen um, and it was really fun. So I'm going to be focusing specifically on the two main characters, Sammy and Andy, um, and talking about their identities today. Uh, I read Avatar The Rise of Kiyoshi by FCE. Um, this is a novel in the Avatar universe, um, primarily focusing on the Avatar before the protagonist of the show, Aang's uh, previous incarnation, a girl named Kiyoshi. Uh, the book mainly deals with the fact that through the beginning of it, no one thinks she is the Avatar, including herself. Um, there's a lot of pressure on the Avatar to keep peace as criminal gangs team, uh, 
seem to rise. And through most of the beginning, she's actually a servant class girl with parents that have a murky background, um, kind of across it. No one really, you know, due to maybe differences in her past or her low upbringing or the fact that she is a girl, people don't like respect her as an avatar and really watching her grow and change throughout the novel is a lot of what I'm going to be talking about and how people view her kind of affects her own view of herself and the world. And then uh, I read Felix Ever After by Kaysen Callender. Um, and basically Felix Ever After is about a queer trans black teen um, who's living in modern day New York City. Um, and he's also an art student. And basically Felix is suddenly bullied by an anonymous student at his school who keeps sending him transphobic messages and also publicly posts his dead name and images of him before he transitioned all over school. And so in order to kind of figure out who the bully is, um, Felix comes up with this catfishing scheme um, but accidentally through that process ends up in kind of a, a love triangle of sorts because of it. So it's a lot about um, identity, but also about young love as well, um, because we see that um, Felix kind of explores his gender identity throughout the novel and comes to the conclusion that he's a demi boy. So I think that also is the first demi boy rep in traditional publishing ever. Um, I'm pretty sure if it's not, please leave a comment, but um, it's pretty revolutionary. It's a great novel. I'm so excited to pick that book up. It's very um, good. <laughs> I read um, Anger is a Gift and This is My America, which deals with two black teens, um, one in Oakland and one in Texas. And um, the main character in Anger is a Gift is a Afro-Latino um, gay male. He's in high school and um, because of his background and kind of where he um, lies on the gender and sexuality spectrum, he is kind of affected in how he wants to maneuver through the world. And I really enjoy how within the novel, he has a group of friends that are all on different um, areas well on the gender and sexuality spectrum. He has friends who are trans, bi, gay, um, asexual, and I really like that community because um, so rarely we'll see like one side character kind of thrown in to be that kind of diversity person and everyone is diverse. Everyone is black or brown in that book and I just loved it so much. And with This Is My America, we see Tracy Beaumont um, and her kind of intersectional identity is being a black girl in Texas, which has a huge racist past. And not only that, but she is dealing head on with white supremacists. And it's just like the perfect book, I feel, um, that deals with intersectionality along with the other books we're talking about. Um, so like I was saying, um, how do you guys feel about the portrayal of background characters and representation and having these characters who used to be seen as kind of the side characters take the forefront of these books. Um, Hannah? 
One thing that you mentioned that um, is also in Felix Ever After is um, a lot of the, the side characters and Felix's friends are also queer and black and brown. Um, and one of the things I actually really liked that Calendar includes is that the side characters, like there's discrimination within the queer community against Felix. So it's not just like outside like cishet transphobes who are attacking his existence. It's also um, his other queer friends um, who are bullying him and, and basically saying that he doesn't deserve to exist as he is. Um, so I just wanted to add that in there because I think that's um, a really great addition and it very it's very much needed because that is the reality is that it's the discrimination is not just coming from outside the community. It also can come from inside the community. Um, and then speaking to what you were talking about in terms of moving these characters who are kind of like token diversity characters to the forefront. I was reading um, a couple interviews with Calendar about like what inspired them to write Felix Ever After. And they were saying that um, they'd never seen a queer trans mask black main character in a book ever. Um, and that they decided that Felix Ever After could be that book for kids um, to see themselves completely um, and see all those intersections of identity in Felix. Um, so I think that that's, that's really important. That's why this book deserves so much praise and so much visibility. Um, because it is really groundbreaking in terms of bringing more representation, not just to the margins, but right to the forefront of YA literature. Yeah, I don't know. What, what do you think, Wendy? What about your book? Yeah, so in my book, um, the background characters and kind of the side characters are pretty much all white males um, because of the time period and the Oregon Trail and the different things that go into that. So for this book, um, for Under a Painted Sky, it was really interesting to watch as the two kind of diverse characters, Sammy and Andy, um, came to the forefront and um, dealt with their diversity as um, in comparison to all of these white males that they were with as they traveled the Oregon Trail. Um, so for them, they did get called some racial slurs in it, um, especially Sammy, who they had a lot of different names for Chinese people at the time, which was interesting to read about those because I hadn't even heard all of them. Um, but they, it wasn't all negative. Um, people seemed kind of more interested in why she, who was portraying as a he at that point, um, was there and acted more like they'd never seen a Chinese person before. So they were kind of curious about her um, and her past. And then for Andy, who is a runaway slave at that point, um, she, a lot of them had obviously seen and um, interacted with slaves before because it, they all started in the South. Um, so for them, it was kind of interesting to watch how they treated her. Um, and I felt like it wasn't ever super negative. Um, they, there is a gang that they call the Broken Hand Gang in this book um, that everyone is kind of worried about. And they're a group of black men um, that everyone believes has killed some people. So they're all worried about that. Um, and so that had more negativity to it when they discussed those characters. But as far as Sammy and Andy specifically, it was, I really loved watching as these two girls came to the forefront of this story and were portrayed um, in a 
really good way, I felt like. Um, so that was really fun for me to read. John, what about you? So with my book, obviously it dealt in a fantasy setting, um, which was really interesting. One of the biggest parts that I found fascinating was about the midpoint through the novel. Kiyoshi at the time was serving as a servant girl in a manor of a very like rich house in the Earth King. And she has to, and she has to leave for reasons in the book that I won't spoil um, just yet. But uh, because a, because a character kills someone very dear to her. And through that, she has to fall in with a group of criminals. Now, kind of in the first half of this book, because of course the Avatar and these sages were very anti-criminal, um, you know, because that was their job, she kind of sees them, you know, she sees the criminal world as something that's like very dark and unaccepting and violent, but she also is hiding a lot of herself in the first half of the novel because she um, is realizing that that she is a lesbian and she is into her friend Rangi. She um, has a lot of like reservations about her own power and how she sees herself in the world. And it's funny because only once she falls in with the criminal world is she able to like explore these parts of herself. And more importantly, they don't care. Like she finds ironically more acceptance in a world of criminals because they have this weird um there's this whole thing of called like the daofei code in the book where once you join one of these gangs like you just treat each other as brothers and sisters and they like they're like we don't care who you're with we don't care what you do what your background is what anyone's past is like once you're part of this group we're all technically criminals but like we're all in it together which is like a very interesting thing because she wasn't able to find like freedom in her previous life and then she has to go to objectively the bad guys to find that which I found really interesting in a novel and kind of turned on the head to kind of these notions of right and wrong and it kind of flips the scripts on who the heroes and villains are um it's very interesting also, I want to touch on, um, I've, I've read a bit of, of that book, and um, I want to, I think that Kiyoshi is actually bisexual, um, and I think that's delved into more in the graphic novels, where she kind of um, comforts Korra um, from The Legend of Korra in her sexuality, which is very nice because we're seeing more and more that um, sexuality and the acceptance of sexuality is being shown not only in current day, but in historical works, um, which is very, very important. Um, so speaking more on identity, um, are all of your books own voices rep? And um, are there any character, characters that you feel um, need to be addressed in the book? And do you think it's something that is um, acquainted to the time or something that the author themselves kind of needs to address? Real quick on um, my do you book. Want to start? Uh, I will. I've actually, real quick on my book, I do actually remember that there is a scene of her possibly having a romantic, um, an almost romantic relationship with a guy. So she is by. Um, it's a very quick scene, so it is not the main relationship of the book that happens early on, so I, I forgot it. 
but yeah, so with my book, um, SC, the, the writer, uh, it, he is um, Asian American, um, but he is a guy and not a girl, um, obviously. So, um, you know, the book was written from a female perspective. I think he handles it pretty well, although obviously if one of you would read the, read the book as well at some point, I would love to hear your perspectives on it because... I just, I don't, I don't know, maybe you would feel, uh, differently, um, I do feel like, it's kind of hard, because I think he handles, uh, most of the subjects well, but he also doesn't, like, deal with certain things that I wish the book had gotten into, like, with Kiyoshi, there definitely is, like, certain senses in the novel where, her being a female, like, she, she's described as, like, a very large, like, powerful character, which is something you want in, like, a mythical avatar hero, but she does somewhat deal with that as, like, counter to her femininity at some points. It doesn't quite, I, I thought that was an interesting point in the novel, and I do wish that it kind of went into it more. Um, it doesn't to a certain extent, but that is the only area I wish it kind of, I think that would have been an interesting character point to develop. And Kiyoshi is a very complex character in the novel. And I think they address a lot, but that is something that I feel like could have been even more uh, like even better addressed that wasn't, if that makes any sense. I feel like I'm rambling. So I'm gonna let someone else go. Um, so for mine, it is for Underpainted Sky, it is own voices. Stacey Lee is Chinese. Um, and I really liked how she portrayed both Sammy and Andy um, in it. And the book is narrated by Sammy, who's the Chinese character. And she, throughout the book, um, talks about each of the characters' animals of their birth year. So she um, was born in the year of the snake. So that plays into um, the plots of the book at different points and she talks about what that means for each of the characters personalities so the romantic interest in this one um, he was born in the year of the rabbit and so at one point they tell a story about a snake and a rabbit and then that comes back later when they finally get together but um, it I really liked that I really liked um, kind of taking this journey um, in Sammy's head throughout and it, I felt like that kind of helped me understand her as a character more. She also talked about um, different things in the book that um, words that uh, like her, she and her father um, really like because they sound like certain words in Chinese or something. Um, I'm not thinking of one off the top of my head, but I think something sounded like luck. And so they felt like that was something that was really good. But um, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed that. And as for Andy's character, because Stacey Lee isn't Black, um, and she obviously was not born in this era, so she wrote from more of a modern perspective of these characters, but I felt like she also dealt with the era itself really well. Um, and I thought that she wrote Andy's character really well, too. Um, nothing felt like a caricature or anything like that. Um, I all of the characters in it felt really real and well-developed and multi-dimensional. So that was really fun for me to read 
because um, sometimes that's a critique that I have of books. But this one, I felt like even the characters that are in the book for like two pages or something like that were pretty well developed and everybody felt really real and it made me really invested in the plot. Um, and yeah, I just really enjoyed kind of reading this book through um, Sammy's head and in her narration like that. Um, Hannah, what do you think? Um, I actually wanted to touch on something that John said, because I think that that's really important, um, kind of analyzing the intersections of, like, femininity and, like, what we perceive as femininity, um, and especially for queer women. I think there's, ob there's, you know, a stereotyping of queer women as more masculine, um, and so I feel like that's definitely part of you know what we're talking about intersectionality of when you're a woman and you're also queer how does femininity and masculinity come into play with that and it's very complex and it's a spectrum and um and so i I'm, i haven't read the book so i can't speak to it but i do think that that's an important thing to to address so i'll be interested when i read the book to to see how that's handled um so in felix ever after um I'm obviously white, so I, I don't feel honestly like I have any, like I can't say if any of the black and brown characters are authentic, even, you know, I don't feel comfortable policing that. That's not really my place. Um, but with all the queer characters, I think uh, Case and Calendar does an amazing job of, of giving nuance to every single one of them. Um, and like I said, mentioning the discrimination within the queer community, I feel like that's often a topic that is um, not addressed in a lot of like YA queer lit that I read um, and should be because that is very complex um, in the ways that that kind of plays out. Um, especially with like the cis characters, uh, the cis queer characters bullying um, Felix throughout and the different ways that they kind of do that, both overtly and also through like microaggressions. Um, so I can't say that there's really any caricature characters in the book. I feel like they're all uh, very well developed. Um, and also I really liked um, what Wendy and John were talking about in terms of like criminality in books because I feel like that's really as much as we want to say that criminality is black and white because we have like you know laws that say like if you do this then you're going to go to jail. Um, but criminality is actually you know really subjective. Um, and I feel like often characters who are queer or people of color or disabled characters, uh, et cetera, and anybody of a marginalized identity, and especially when they have multiple marginalized identities, I feel like they're often at a higher likelihood to be villainized and be criminalized and pushed to the margins of society. Um, by readers, you know, they can be deemed unlikable, but also like within the world, you know, we'll see, um, characters of marginalized identities being deemed as criminals. So I think it's really interesting that in your book, John, I, I don't feel like it's that surprising that, um, you know, that, that Kiyoshi is able to find herself with a group of, of supposed criminals um, who, I, I mean, I haven't read the book, but like may just be portrayed negatively because, you know, the world wants to kind of keep them suppress and keep them in a negative light because it's easier to like oppress them that way. I don't know if that made any sense, but. Yeah, actually, uh, my book, one of the quotes I really like, I, I believe it's the character Lek who says it, but um, he says, no one comes here by choice. 
they they come here when they have no when regular society has failed them and basically most of the characters in criminality were unable because of how the world was set up due to either corruption or anything else were unable to create either they either needed the criminal world to um you know to either either to keep them alive or because they couldn't find work and actually um the moral ambiguity of the higher-ups in this world is brought into question a lot of times um various rulers including uh kiyoshi's former head of her household uh, genju and kind of the actions they take and uh is brought up into question and you know who's right and wrong is brought up as this very like interesting kind of spectrum like no one's a good guy and a bad guy the bad guys we think have their good aspects and their uses and their you know and the bad guys have their good aspects even you know in the beginning there's a pirate fleet that she has to fight and afterwards the ramifications of it are well now the fire nation could take over the south water pole because without these pirates they don't have a navy but the earth kingdoms want to squabble so much they won't give the south water tribe money to create a navy because them in poverty is better for the earth king economically it's a very interesting spectrum but i'm sure other people want to talk about it yeah just really quickly about the criminality um one thing and this is gonna spoil kind of the ending of this book just just a spoiler alert here but um in under a painted sky so like i mentioned before there's this gang in there called the broken hand gang and they're kind of throughout as this gang that everybody's really worried about and they don't want to meet on the trail and they don't want to be killed like um they people had been talking about this gang had supposedly killed some people at the very beginning but towards the end of the book um Sammy actually ends up meeting this gang and she discovers that they are not the people that everybody was talking about. Um, they actually haven't killed anybody. They've gotten in some rough situations, but they're actually just runaway slaves that are trying to find their way and escape their life. Um, and so it's it was really interesting to see how that gang developed in this book. And then even further, we find out um, that one of the members of the gang, kind of the leader of the gang, turns out to be Andy's brother that she's been searching for this whole book. So um, it was a really, really cool plot twist that I do have to say I saw it coming, but it was still really fun to read about it. Um, and then he ends up saving their lives at the end of the book as well. And so that I really, really loved how um, Stacey Lee took this gang that everybody was really scared about and ended up making them um, these really good characters that saved their lives. So like John and Hannah were saying, it wasn't like a black and white kind of thing with criminality. Um, and actually it, the people who turned out to be the ones that were um, almost got Sammy and Andy killed at the end were the white Irish people in there. Um, which that was just the Irish identity wasn't entirely important, but they were the only Irish ones there. So that was a whole nother topic about why they ended up being Irish. But, um, but it was really interesting to watch as all these identities kind of shifted and changed throughout as we saw um, all the different facets of these characters. And Jackie, I think you wanted to say something next. Yes, I have been taking notes on everything you guys are saying. I have so much to say. <laughs> Um, I think the topic you guys were just describing um, kind of leads into my books really well because 
in my books, they the two characters, Moss and Tracy, are seen as criminals because they are Black. Being Black in America has been a topic where you have to kind of, they have to show people, they have to prove themselves over and over again, despite history showing that they're unarmed, they're not doing the crimes, they are being approached by police and kind of seen as criminals because of how they look and where they come from. And I like how um, in both books, in Anger is a Gift and This is My America, um, the authors are own voices rep, but I want to address that in Anger is a Gift, uh, Marco Shiro is a non-binary author, a non-binary queer Latinx author. And they don't identify as Black, um, but I don't think that takes away from the portrayal of Moss as a character because it's more focused on um, how he participates in activism and how he takes his identity and um, proves people wrong. And he, um, he allows people to, uh, I guess, come together and he is kind of a leader. He kind of um, stops taking a back seat and kind of stops being scared of who he is. And in both books, both characters are um, in kind of single parent households for different reasons. Moss lost his father to police brutality um, due to his father being profiled. And then in This Is My America, Tracy's father is incarcerated because he is again profiled. And with Tracy, she is like Moss where she kind of takes charge um, almost as soon as her father is taken away at a very young age. So she leads Know Your Rights workshops. She wants to show people that this will not defeat her. Her father being incarcerated does not define her. And she writes letters to a program, an organization known as Innocent X that um, is her way of trying to help her father get exonerated. And then she is confronted again with her brother being profiled by he is in relation to a white girl. And so she comes up dead. And then because of who he is and who his father is, he is seen as the prime suspect. And I think it's interesting how these characters um, are just put in a box, but they kind of, the authors kind of show that they're more multifaceted than that. And to go back to um, what you guys were talking about, I want to address the idea of femininity and how um, char female characters in particular kind of have to perform um, their strength. They have to overcompensate in some cases. I kind of um, think towards kind of Captain Marvel in the Marvel movies where she is seen as kind of a flat character because they don't give her um, emotional substance because they want her to perform that kind of strength. 
And I like how, um, in what I've read of the rise of Kiyoshi, that that, is, that isn't the case. And um, when it comes to portrayals of characters, I want to touch on um, kind of my experience where I've seen intersectionality not necessarily done to the best of its ability with um, certain authors and characters. So for example, with um, the Asian character in the book Ottawa Now by Nick Stone. I feel that that book kind of played into stereotypes and she was kind of the token character in that book. And with with authors um, who are kind of outside that identity, with um, authors like Rainbow, Mor Rainbow Rowell or like Mackenzie Lee who write about characters who are queer, but they are not queer themselves. Um, I want to kind of throw the question out of what do you think of books kind of like Carry On versus Simon versus the Hope and Sapiens agenda, where they're written by authors who are outside of that identity, but they're, they are kind of read and treated differently, especially in the space of having own voices. Um. Well, I think there's often the argument that I see is, you know, writing is about stepping outside of your own experience, right? Um, and I say yes, but that that argument um, is still deeply entwined with privilege. Because, for example, as a white person, I can write a, a Latinx character, for example, um, and the story can be all about the oppression they experience, or it can just, I can just have a Latinx main character and not talk about anything that has to do with, you know, quote, being Latinx. But after I'm done writing, I get to go back to being a white person who benefits from white supremacy in this country. So I still get to kind of step out of that identity. I, I don't live with that identity every day. Um, you know, I can do all the research I want, and I will never fully understand uh, what it means to be Black in America. Um, so I, I do think that writing outside of your experience when it comes to issues of sexuality, race, um, ableism, things like that, that it can be and often is another form of colonization because, you know, you're appropriating somebody else's identity, especially if you are an author of privilege in one or many respects, you're appropriating, um, you know, that identity, that the oppression that comes with that identity for your own use. Um, so I think it, it's, it's definitely, I don't think it's straight in terms of just being able to, you know, if you do enough research, if you have enough sensitivity readers that, you know, you're, you're gonna be able to write authentically from that perspective. Um, I don't know if anybody else has any any thoughts on that as well. Uh, yeah, actually, um, going back, uh, when I was in a creative fiction class, uh, one of the things I remember was that a, a person submitted a story and I had some critiques about like character motivations and actions that didn't make sense to me. And, um, you know, some other stuff just, you know, and I, I I said them in what I think was a respectful way, and the the author came back to me and said, well, you wouldn't get it because this character is bipolar, but I actually am bipolar. I'm type 1 bipolar. I've been diagnosed, um, I think it was four years ago at this point, and I was like, 
but I actually am, and this still doesn't make sense to me. And and it is very interesting because, and I, and I always think to that, like on this on this topic, I could never write as authentically as someone in that group, and I would never want to do that experience to someone else, regardless. And I do think, obviously, with everyone's experiences, whether it's you know mental illness, race, gender, everyone's going to have a different experience, and I never want to invalidate anyone's and I don't think any anyone else should, but I do think that especially with these I I've always liked the stories where they are told from like that person's because I feel there's the most like viewpoint because I feel they're the most genuine. There's the most like this is real and we also I feel like we get to see more about the everyday struggles of that like identity and how it affects them i also think that um there have been some authors who maybe especially in like fantasy and sci-fi if they want to address this and they aren't of a character group they will write characters that are outside of their society of their world's society you know even in my book you know avatar kiyoshi deals with you know being the avatar which is obvious we don't have an avatar in america or the world at least i hope i wish we did (laughs) yeah like there actually is one and i just i've been outside of it for years um but you know like that's that's an identity that the character is able to explore and what it means without affecting it um another one that i think does this uh um to some levels of success is the witcher series uh, which is an adult fantasy series but that character is seen as an outsider by every group because he is a mutant he is not part he is not an elf but he is also not seen as a human and really kind of no one likes him because he profits off the miseries of others by killing monsters it's a whole thing anyways you don't have seven books in you but um so that's always been my thing i do think i have seen creative ways for Author to address these issues where you're not talking about those identities. And I do think that, yeah, taking those spots by as a white author, um, it kind of, it, it can be disingenuous sometimes. So yeah, I hope that made sense. Yeah, I um, agree with what John and Hannah are saying here. Um, in Under a Painted Sky, so Stacy Lee herself is Chinese, so she's able to write about Sammy's perspective um, from kind of her own perspective there, but she is not Black, so her writing about Andy's perspective in this um, isn't her experience, but I think that she does it. I also am not Black, so I can't entirely speak to it. But from my perspective, I felt like she wrote it um, pretty well. Um, Andy seemed like a very well-developed character. Nothing felt too out of the ordinary or anything or too um, wild or anything anything like that. Um, It didn't feel like Andy was a caricature, um, like I mentioned before. But um, I think that this is a very complicated subject and definitely something that we need to um, keep discussing as a society over and over and over um, and keep finding new um, ways to talk about it because um, I think diverse books are really good and it's it's really important to have diverse characters in books, even if the main character might be white, um, then it's important to have diverse characters in it in other elements. But um, 
So for books like that, uh, maybe a white person is writing about a book with a main character who's white, but there is a black person who is a side character or something. So I think that it's important to have books like that um, and to have those characters written well, but with lots of research done and sensitivity readers and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think it's a very complicated subject and even just the very surface of it, like a female author writing about a male perspective or something like that. Um, Cause I, as an author, I have done that. Often I write things that um, have both female and male perspectives and I am a woman, so I don't exactly know what a male perspective is, but um, in a workshop I've had guys approach my stories and say, hey, a guy, or at least us, we wouldn't actually do that. Um, and so things like that where then I go back and I change or I talk to different people that I know. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely agree with what John and Hannah were saying. And I think that um, white authors maybe shouldn't take the spots away from people who are those identities, especially if it's the protagonists of the stories. Um, so yeah, I'm loving that YA is getting more and more diverse and I'm really, really enjoying all of these books right now and kind of where we are in this era and watching as this whole genre changes for the better. So yeah, I'm just, I think that it's really good to have this conversation and I think that we just need to keep having this conversation and not let, not forget it or let it go away. Um, I think that's an excellent point because I feel like YA and middle grade and even picture books like the children's literature market is so good at um, diversity and representation and I'm seeing more and more um, books geared towards kids that address sexuality that address gender identity and that just makes me so happy because I'm able to present that to the children in my life and I think um, going back to the topic of like having white authors portray uh, characters on the margins, I kind of feel like sometimes it feels like um, imagined oppression, like imagined, um, like how am I going to put myself in the space of these brown and black characters? And I feel like oftentimes as someone who consumes a lot of media, I read so much of Latinx stories that deal with immigration, which is definitely an important topic, but I feel like that's the only story I confront. And it feels like that's the only story that people want to tell. Um, so, um, Hannah, you want to say something? Yeah, I, I think that that's also really important um, because like, especially with, so with queer characters, um, there's a heavy emphasis, obviously, on, like, the coming out narrative, right? Like, that's the majority of what, of what we see, um, and so I, I think there, there is, there should be a certain market, at least, where there's books that aren't about coming out that are just, you know, normalized queerness that is about, you know, it's, it's a YA rom-com, and both characters are openly queer, um, or, you know, it's a fantasy and both of them are openly queer, like normalizing queerness or blackness outside of kind of the boxes of like every single story that centers on a black character has to be about police brutality or, you know, 
expanding that and and not putting um you know marginalized authors in those boxes and you know i think that goes into a whole nother discussion about publishing um both in the children's and adult markets alike um you know where authors are kind of stopped by these gatekeepers of like agents and editors who want to control you know what their characters are doing um, and what stories they're allowed to tell. Um, you know, there should be a huge market for stories that are all about uh, black joy. You know, there should, you know, there should be, you know, a whole, there should be a much larger, you know, market for, um, you know, non-binary rep in fantasy. You know, I think for me, that's kind of where like intersectionality comes into play. Um, like where we do, where do we go from here is we need to expand and not keep uh, you know, these authors, these creators in these boxes where this is the only story you can tell about your oppression and your identity. Um, so going to your books overall, what effect did reading about the intersection of such identities that you guys discuss have on you personally? Like with hearing about Felix Ever After, it, hearing that it's so groundbreaking and it was the first Demi rep that you read. Um, it's very interesting. And um, can you talk about that more? Yeah. Um, so obviously, you know, uh, Felix is a Demi boy, like I said. Um, and I've never read any other Demi boy rep in YA, uh, traditional YA. Um, like I said, I don't know that for sure. So if anybody knows more, please like leave a comment. Um, but I'm pretty sure that it's it's the first main character, at least, to be a, a openly a demi boy. Um, and I guess you know that's that that is part of why it's groundbreaking is is you know having that character in the forefront. It's also groundbreaking that it's it's an own voices book. It's written by an author who is uh, non-binary trans mask and black. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, we're talking about the importance of own voices. And I think that we, like Wendy said, we just need to continue to boost that discussion um, and continue to fight for authors on every single, you know, every single forefront so that they have more opportunities to write the stories that they want to tell that, um, you know, represent characters that aren't just queer or aren't just trans or aren't just black, but maybe are all three, you know? And and how does that kind of play out in YA literature? Um, yeah, I think, I think that's super important. I don't know if anybody else has anything else to add. Um, yeah, that, I really enjoy what you're saying there too. Um, and I think as far as reading about these different identities, for me, um, I'm pretty sure that I have read a book with Chinese representation before, but it's been a lot of years. Um, so for me, it was really fun to kind of dive into Sammy's head and see the world through her eyes. And then also to see um, the difference between Sammy and Andy and the rest of the characters in Under a Painted Sky and, and to see all this different representation and kind of to compare how these characters were treated in 1849 versus how, um, people with, who are Chinese or Black are treated now, and to see the similarities and the differences um, between the representation and the treatment of them. Um, so for me, that was, that was definitely an important part of this book. Um, and 
it, what effect it had for me um, would be just, I think um, I came from a small town in Kentucky, so things weren't super diverse there. Um, so for me, I just keep trying to expand my mind and, and read a lot of diverse books right now. Um, and so that's been really fun um, to kind of change my worldview and see how I'm seeing the world through books. And like Hannah was saying, it a lot of it comes back to um, uh, the publication aspect of it and, and agents and editors and watching as more and more people get represented in these books and as authors themselves. Um, and so I think that's really awesome. And I'm really excited to see where YA and middle grade literature goes from here. Uh, one of the things I actually really like about your book, Wendy, is how it is historical fiction, historical from a non-white perspective. Um, I think one of the one of the biggest things I really hope happens with you know more diverse voices coming out, especially in YA, is that kids especially are able to kind of learn about different things that the traditional American curriculum doesn't cover. I know, for instance, um, you know, media is very good at teaching us about things that we didn't know about. I know recently the HBO show Watchmen um, uh, had it involved the Tulsa massacre, which was something that a large part of America didn't know about up to that point. And they didn't learn about that in school. They learned about it watching an HBO show, uh, which is a different issue all entirely. But I think especially like diverse voices can not only, especially with these historical tech texts, uh, not only bring up our current problems, but especially I think some of the problems we historically have not been taught due to white supremacy affecting the school curriculum and American exceptionalism, trying to scrub out kind of these darker parts of our past. So, yeah, I, that was definitely one of the aspects that I really loved about this book um, itself, and and with the historical fiction and and the whole plot too of um, Sammy and Andy having to disguise themselves as boys. Um, kind of, there was some feminism in there too, and that was kind of where the intersection happened. But yes, I definitely agree that that I'm looking forward to reading more historical fiction and, and seeing that um, come out with these diverse characters kind of telling these stories that we know, because I've read several books about the gold rush era and about people traveling on the Oregon Trail before. And I have read books with um, women having to disguise themselves as men to travel on the Oregon Trail or to travel um, going west. But this was the first time that I had read a book with this representation and that other plot too. So I'm, I'm really excited to see um, like more historical fiction delving into all of these different topics of things that we sometimes think that we know, but we don't know all the perspectives of it. So yeah, that'll, it'll be fun to keep reading these kinds of books. Um, I think speaking to my own experience, um, reading these books, uh, it was really touching especially reading Inger is a gift because Moss, um, I, I identify with him in the Latinx aspect and kind of um, his class status because I was, I went to a school where we had books falling apart like him. I went to a school where we were kind of scared of the police kind of just walking around the halls because they thought we were up to no good if we were just walking to the bathroom um, and kind of 
always being seen and profiled by your own teachers, by your friend's parents. And so that was really um, a point where I felt that our identities um, met. And with This Is My America, um, Tracy, she's someone I hope to be like. She is 16 or 17 and she is an activist. She stared right into a gun and stood up to a police officer knowing that she is someone who has an incarcerated family history and as a black woman, which was so inspiring that I feel like I'm gonna carry what these books taught me for a long time. Um, and just, I wanted to ask you guys about, um, I guess kind of the last question in, how did the discrimination um, these characters face, like sexism, racism, um, gender bias, um, how did that affect how the characters maneuvered in their fictional space? Um, so obviously, you know, Felix is dealing with a very aggressive um, transphobic, anonymous transphobic bully, um, but also with the transphobia within his friend, friend group. Um, and a large part of the novel, is, and probably my favorite part, is just Felix saying that he deserves to exist. Basically, that's all he's asking is, I deserve to exist in this world, how I want to be, who I am, um, and exist safely as well. Um, and so I, I think that that's, you know, really important for, especially for just trans erasure in, in general. Um, and, you know, the, the larger, the majority of people are, what, what I don't mean most people, but I mean like the hege hegemonic majority, the people who are in power believing that, you know, trans or non-binary people don't exist. That's, that's just not, um, that's not an authentic identity. That's not real. Um, and so I think, you know, Felix has to deal with that every single day um, and, and how he kind of moves throughout the world. Um, you know, being queer and trans and black, um, you know, that definitely affects his behavior and, you know, if he feels safe. Um, but I think it's really inspiring because the, the book is a lot about like self-acceptance and self-love and creating a community of people who love you who for who you are. Um, and keeping those people around you. Um, it's set during Pride Month, so it's definitely a celebratory book. Um, and it's just, you know, it, it, it is about like fighting for that right to exist, but also like enjoying um, who you are. And I think that that's, you know, that's really important. That's why I enjoyed the book so much. Um, and especially like with my own experience, um, how calendar allows Felix to kind of redefine himself and continue to explore um, his gender identity, especially because like I said, he comes to the realization that he's a demi boy throughout the book. Um, and I think that's really important because that's something that I have to tell myself all the time is that's okay to, to continue to question who you are in terms of gender or sexuality. That's okay. That's that all of those things are a spectrum. Um, so, and you exert, you, you deserve to exist, 
um, fluidly if that's how you want to be. So yeah, uh, I don't know, Wendy, do you have anything to add about your book? Yeah, so um, in Under a Painted Sky, like I kind of mentioned earlier, both Sammy and Andy are extremely judged throughout um, because of their skin color and because they stand out um, among all of these other white people on this Oregon Trail. Um, and so they definitely, there were parts of the book where um, both of them started kind of getting down about that, um, but they also used that to help themselves sometimes. Um, they sometimes just randomly threw things out um, to about their identities that maybe isn't true, but um, that they used to help themselves with certain situations. Um, so that was really interesting to, to see that as well. And then as far as being female and in this predominant, predominantly male world um, on the Oregon Trail, um, it was really fascinating to watch how they were treated differently than they would have been um, because these people believed that they were female. And at the end of the book, a lot of the, the boys that they were traveling with said that they knew from the beginning that they were women. But as I've gone back and thought about that a lot, um, I don't know that that comes across um, throughout the book because I feel like that was kind of something added in at the end because there are certain elements in it that happen later that I'm like, wait, I don't think that they knew that they were women at this point, even though at the end they mentioned they did. But, but as far as how they were treated, it was, it was interesting to watch as um, these boys or men believed that they, um, how they would act as boys um, compared to how they would act as women and how they interacted with other women. So one of the cowboy characters um, really loved to go flirt with other girls on the trail. And, um, and so it was interesting watching that and knowing that he would treat these two characters differently if he knew that they were women. Um, so yeah, it, it definitely showed kind of the biases of that era. And I think that that was something that was really important um, to point out and to read about in this book um, and something that I really enjoyed reading as well and seeing how times have changed and also how times are kind of similar um, in certain ways too and how people um, who have these, represent these identities um, are represented today. John, do you have anything to add? Uh, my book's a little harder because it is like a fantasy, so it's less of a, a commentary on this. But one of the cool things about it is there is this idea of like letting loose. One of the biggest struggles Kyoshi has is her ability to control elements in a like smaller sense. Like she's able to pick up like a house with earthbending, but she's not able to pick up like a pebble and throw it. And so there is this idea of like when she's kind of like almost afraid she'll like hurt people with her power and so it is really cool to see moments later on where she kind of learns to hit this medium and like be okay with how powerful she is and know how to exert control when she needs to but kind of when she gets to let loose later on and is able to kind of be herself and like do these like massive bending feats which was like a fascinating way to show the character like be okay with who she is through a sense of like control and like expression, so. Um, I think this has been a great conversation on intersectionality and kind of how this 
new this nuanced way of portraying characters in YA is keep moving it keeps moving forward and we keep seeing more and more characters represented and I'm really excited for the coming year the coming months even um, because there are a lot of books where new identities are explored and uh, we're touching on the different ways that people are at a disadvantage but how they approach it and kind of defeat stereotypes. Um, I guess to close out I want to ask everyone what they're reading right now. Anna? So I'm actually reading an adult fantasy novel right now. Um, it's The Dragon Republic by R.F. Kuang. Um, it is Own Voices and it's the second book in the Poppy War series. Um, but in terms of like what I'm reading for children's lit, I'm really excited this month. Um, Darius the Great Deserves Better is coming out by Adi Um, And that's another book that is great. Uh, its own voices um, in terms of intersectionality. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for, for that book as well. It's coming out later this month. Um, I'm reading Rebel Spy right now by Veronica Rossi. Um, and it's a book about a girl, it's another historical fiction, um, and she ends up having to take on this identity of um, a, a upper class woman, um, and then she becomes a spy during the Revolutionary War. So it's been really fun to read that. And then the next thing that I'm reading for Pine Reads um, is The Princess Will Save You by Sarah Henning. And I'll be doing a blog about that book um, and how it compares to the Princess Bride movie, um, since I've never seen the movie before. So it'll be a fun experience to read that book and watch the movie at the same time. And that'll be coming out, um, I think, in September. Uh, I'm actually going back to my roots with graphic novels. Uh, I just picked up a graphic novel called Donut the Destroyer. It's all about a girl whose parents are both evil villains, and she uh, gets accepted into hero school. Um, my favorite quote so far from the book is, is when she asked them not to perform evil rituals in the living room, and they say, wait, and they're like, oh, yes, we should do this in the garage. And then they're like, wait, this is our house. We can do them in your room. And she's like, nope, the living room's fine, and then runs away. So uh, it's by a, a, a lady called Sarah Greeley. She has a really funny Instagram uh, like comic series, and this is one of her I, – I think she has done a novel before, a graphic novel before, but this is one of her first, so I will be – that review will come out sometime. Yeah. So I'm reading um, Age of Us, A Desert by Marco Shiro. Um, I'm going to be reviewing that book next month and also Anger is a Gift right before an interview with the author. Very exciting stuff. Um, so yeah, everyone make sure to check out the website. We do reviews, interviews, um, and a lot of fun stuff. And stay tuned because in about two weeks, we'll be doing an episode on mysteries. So that's going to be really fun um, as we read some different mysteries for that as well. And thanks for listening. As always, keep reading. The Pine Reads Review podcast is hosted by John Pressel, Wendy Waltrip, and Jackie Balbastro, and produced by myself, Hannah Miller. Music from Anchor Podcasts. You can find us at pinereadsreview.com, 
or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pine Reads Review. As always, keep reading, folks. <laughs>